0: Let us turn our confessional reading, page 244, in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book, page 244 in the Forms and Prayers, uh, Lord's Day 36, and we'll uh, do Lord's Day 37 as well. This is uh, the only uh, commandment of the Ten Commandments that gets Two Lord's Days, and so we'll we'll take them together. We'll take all of the third commandment together here tonight, even as we'll be looking, especially at question and answer 99. Uh, but we'll read uh, question and answers 99, 100, 101, 102, and I'll read the question. We can say the answers together, beginning with. a 36, question 99. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders, In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No No sin sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Question 101. But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good, such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. May we also swear by saints or other created things? No, a legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. It's the confession we hold in common. Let us turn to the very word of God, Zechariah chapter 13 This it's page 1016 in the Blue ESV Bibles or uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi uh, or probably the easiest way Matthew 1 and just go back about five pages or so from Matthew chapter 1 and you'll find the end of Zechariah. Zechariah uh, chapter 13. And we'll make some reference to what might be called the shepherd section, the shepherd conclusion, which is really Zechariah 11, 12, 13, and 14 all together. But we're looking especially at three verses about the shepherd Zechariah 13. Verses 7 to 9. Let us hear the word of God. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. So far the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, about 10 years ago, a table talk devotional included these words, quote, watch an hour of television, see certain movies, or listen to popular music for a few minutes and you will hear God's name being taken in vain. This is a marked change and it reflects how our culture no longer takes the third commandment seriously. Yes, sadly, we are surrounded by the abuse and misuse of the holy name of God. And to the list of watching media and listening to uh, popular music, many of us can add something like just step into my workplace or uh, step onto an athletic field and really just about go to any public place and we hear the name of God used irreverently, flippantly, blasphemously. Indeed, one of the things which is sad about such a constant misuse of the name of God is that we can almost forget that there's a right use for the name of God have you ever heard someone take the name of God and use it in a sentence and we hear it misused so often your first reaction is the name of God was just taken in vain and then you realize no they were they were serious The name of God was being used seriously and reverently. That was not the name of God being taken in vain. That was someone legitimately saying something like, God, help us. And if we think of phrases like, my God, or oh, my God, or oh, Lord, my God, We see these words many times in the Holy Word of God. We see God's people taking these phrases upon their lips, even though those phrases, especially the middle one, are so misused so frequently, we almost feel like we have to avoid that phrase. But the problem, people of God, is not the use of the name of God. The problem is the misuse of the name of God. We are called to use the name above every name. We are called to reverently use the name of God. We are called to a holy use of the name of God. We are called to say, as we see in the last words of our text, the Lord is my God. And our theme is, As we consider that and the verses that lead to that, and how it's possible to come to that place, which Zechariah spells out for us in a beautiful prophetic way, our theme as we look at this tonight is this use God's holy name in a sanctified way. Use God's holy name in a sanctified way. First, sanctified by Christ. Second, sanctified through fire. And third, sanctified for praise. And so we begin with this, sanctified by Christ. And you look at uh, Zechariah chapter 13 and you might say, well, where is the name of Jesus uh, in the text? Well, we don't have the name Jesus, but we do have my shepherd. And we know without a doubt that my shepherd is especially a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ. And uh, there's at least a few reasons why we know that. We'll begin with the most plain and the most clear, and that's because Jesus tells us he is the shepherd of Zechariah 13. Please turn with me, it is not many pages over, to Matthew chapter 26. If you turn just a few pages, you'll get past Malachi, that gets you to Matthew. Then to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, And in coming to Matthew 26, we come to the last day of Jesus' life on earth. Again, the the Hebrew day goes from sunset to sunset. And and so the sun is down, and Jesus has eaten the uh, last Passover supper and the first Lord's supper with his disciples. And Matthew 26, verse 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and there... Jesus tells us who the shepherd of Zechariah 13 is. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. The shepherd of Zechariah, Zechariah 13, the shepherd of Zechariah chapter 11 to Zechariah chapter 14 is Jesus Christ. And the first and plainest reason why we know that is because Jesus told us he is the shepherd of Zechariah chapter 13. Now there are other uh, reasons and we'll consider just two more. And those are uh, here within the prophecy. A second way that we know this text takes us to Jesus, the shepherd, is because Zechariah speaks about a shepherd who is struck for the sins of others. Look back with me at Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. Again, this is all part of the shepherd section. There has been the language about one who will be pierced in chapter 12, verse 10. We know it's the shepherd because it's the shepherd who is struck with the sword in 13, verse 7. And what do we read in between there? In Zechariah 13, verse 1, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So, uh, brothers and sisters, what we have in Zechariah is a uh, very close following of the words given by the prophet Isaiah uh, some uh, centuries earlier. Isaiah also speaks of a suffering one, also speaks of one who is pierced, also speaks of one who is struck and speaks of his piercing, of his striking, being for the sins of others. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, the same Hebrew word as Zechariah 13, verse 7. Yet we esteemed esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced, the same word as Zechariah 12, verse 10. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is the shepherd. Jesus Christ, who dies for the sins of others. And the third way, and now this is right in Zechariah 13, verse 7. A third way that we know this shepherd is Jesus Christ is because of the close relationship which the Lord God describes between himself and the shepherd look again at the language of Zechariah 13 verse 7. First, there is a prophetic image whereby God speaks directly to the sword. Awake, O sword! And the sword comes against whom? My shepherd. Against the man who stands next to me. We know that the shepherd is Jesus Christ because the shepherd is a man who has the authority to stand next to the Lord God. And now, brothers and sisters, remembering again that Jesus told us He is the shepherd. We read this in the New Testament context. And in that clear light of the full revelation of God, we say, there is one God-man. He's fully god and fully man. And that's how it's possible for a man to stand next to God. And it's not just any man. It's the only begotten son. It's God's own son. And what God did not require Abraham to do because it was only a test of Abraham killing his only son of promise. What God did not require Abraham to do, God the Father did. God takes up the sword and punishes his own son. God willingly sent his son for this purpose. Jesus the Son willingly went for this purpose. It was all part of the eternal plan of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, which is why it can be so plainly prophesied by the author who is the Holy Spirit long before it occurs. And this is how salvation is possible. Brothers and sisters, let the plain prophetic beauty of the plan of salvation in texts like Zechariah 13 further inform and fill out the meaning of texts like John 3.16. And he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. The man who stands next to God is the only begotten Son. And the only way that we could be saved was for that plan of salvation by which God would take up the sword and strike down His own Son. Because we couldn't bear the punishment against sin. We cannot... Stand on our own two feet against the wrath of God. But the God man can stand for us and save us. So, just to step back and again consider where we're going. When we get to our third point, it very directly relates to the third commandment. To what do we say? We say, The Lord is my God. We use the name of God rightly, but how do we get there? It must always begin with Jesus Christ, as it must begin with any of the Ten Commandments. How do we get to the Ten Commandments? Because Jesus Christ has first fulfilled it for us. And that is true for the Third Commandment and for every commandment, because He first stands in our place. And so that's a little uh, roadmap uh, looking ahead even to the third point. But first we have our second point, sanctified through fire. And we're looking now, especially at verse 8, into the, the first half of verse 9. And we see the symbolic language of a large rejection and that two-thirds of God's covenant people of the covenant community, two-thirds are cut off. This is a prophecy spoken to Israel, about Israel, and only one third, see that at the very end of verse 8, remains. And it's that one third that remains from the end of verse 8, which is sanctified, which is purified through the fire, going into verse 9. And so now we step back, and as we saw in, this, in the first point, this prophecy relates in a special and direct way to Jesus Christ and to his disciples. What did they do on the day when Jesus was put to death? Well, they, they fled from him. The sheep were scattered. And if we look at the life of Jesus Christ in, in a broader scope, what, what happened? Jesus came to his own people. And what happened? His own people rejected him. Those who should have known the Messiah should have known the language of the suffering Messiah, especially clear in Isaiah Which again, to this day, Isaiah 53 is not read in Jewish synagogues. In Orthodox Jewish synagogues, they will read all the way through the Old Testament and they will do it repeatedly and they will not read Isaiah 53. And that is the plainest chapter, but it is very plain in other places as well, like Zechariah 13, which they do read. But what happened when Jesus came? He was largely rejected. Two-thirds fall away. But one-third remains. God will always be preserving his people. And even among the scattered sheep, what does Jesus do? Jesus seeks the lost sheep. Finally, we are all sheep who have gone astray, as the psalmist says, And so right after quoting from Zechariah 13, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And the disciples are probably sitting there thinking, what, I'm not going to be scattered just hours before they are scattered and they flee from Jesus. But what did Jesus say immediately after that? But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus gathers, Jesus preserves, Jesus protects. And yes, many of his own rejected him. But then... From the scattered disciples that Jesus gathered, he laid the foundation of his church. And that included not only the remnant of Israel who yet believed and rejoiced in the Messiah and received Jesus as the true Messiah which he was, but it was also much more than that. As God refined the early church through the fires of persecution, through all the hatred of the unbelieving Jews, and through all the hatred of the Empire of Rome, and as many of them, for this, it was even to the point of death. Eleven of the twelve disciples are are put to death. Only only John lives to an old age. And 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 what does God do through all of that? All of that fire. All of that. Trial, all of that refining work. Well, he's not only preserving Israel, he's also gathering in people from all the nations. And now uh, we're, we're just looking a little bit at some of the texts from Zechariah 11 to 14 as a whole. We're going to look at one more verse. Zechariah 14, verse 16. Zechariah 14, verse 16. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. Now you say, wait, we don't keep the Feast of Booths anymore? Well, yes, but that's the way prophetic language is. It speaks in the language of Old Testament worship, even when it's prophetically pointing to New Testament worship. What does God do? He takes all of that fire uh, for the early church, and he preserves some, and then he also adds from all the nations many more. And now what did those who stood against Jerusalem, and that was all the other peoples of the earth, that was all of us. God gathers to himself people from all the nations and year after year to 2023 and beyond. We gather and we worship the king. We worship Jesus who has saved us. We worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, this prophecy, it has special reference to that first coming of Jesus and what comes through that. It it does also speak to the church in, in every generation Prophecies are are layered in the Old Testament. And so the church will continue to see fire. It will continue to be refined. We will continue to have times when we look at the church community and people are rejecting Jesus as he has revealed himself, even as they claim to be God's people. And God has to take symbolically two-thirds off and preserve one-third for himself and refine through fire and then build up his church anew, as it were. But God will always do this perfectly. He will always be gathering, protecting, preserving for himself his people. Until he comes again, it will be through fire, but it will be for his glory. And it will be with a bringing in of people from all the nations to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, year after year. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. I looked at it this morning put much focus upon the words, all those who desire to live a godly life. We didn't put much emphasis on the last words of that verse. There will be persecution. Well, here it is. In prophetic form, focused upon the corporate, upon the whole sheepfold altogether. It's true individually. It's true for all of God's people together. There will be persecutions. There will be refining fires. But God will always be accomplishing his purposes. So, brothers and sisters, this is what takes us to verse 9. This is what takes us to what we are called to do. Because of the shepherd who saves us, because God preserves his people even through fire and and gathers others in, looking ahead to chapter 14, they will call, the end of verse 9, upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. And we are saved so that we might use the name of God in a sanctified way. Really use the name of God. Praise Him. Worship Him. Speak of Him. Call upon Him. See, brothers and sisters, the context of how we get here See what Jesus has done. See that language of calling upon the Lord, calling upon the Lord in repentance, repentance of our sins because we are not the shepherd who can stand at the side of God and faith and the one who says, you are my people. Now use my name. Use my name rightly. Use my name in a sanctified way, in a holy way. Praise me. Worship me. Question and answer 99. What is God's will for us? In the third commandment, in summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. And surely, brothers and sisters, uh, when we read that, and when we read it with a measure of uh, self-examination, we say, yes, the problem with, with mankind and the breaking of the third commandment is not just that, somebody out there who's not me is constantly misusing, flippantly, irreverently, blasphemously speaking a misuse of the name of God. The problem is with all of us because do we in full reverence and awe use the name of God? Full of worship in everything we do and say? No, we all all will fall short of the third commandment as its full requirement, but may we grow more and more. May we grow more and more in this holy use, in this reverent use. May we grow more and more in a holy indignation against the blasphemous use. Let us never grow cold to it because it so surrounds us in this day and age. Let's have a holy indignation to that Uh, irreverent, flippant, blasphemous use of the name of God. And then, by God's grace, may we be sanctified to use the name of God year after year, worshiping him with more reverence, with more awe, with more praise, with more adoration as we think upon his name above all names, as we speak his name above all names, as we sing and sing together of his name above all names. Brothers and sisters, we looking mostly then tonight at 99 and 100 surely, or say 37 is uh, you practical help for us. Reminder that, again, God's name is the Most High Name. It's the only name that we should ever swear an oath by because uh, only God, question and answer 102, knows my heart and only God is, can witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. And now putting this together with the call of faith, the call in the text to call upon his name and I will answer them. And we can think, brothers and sisters, of the most important vow that we are called to make in our life and that's the vow, the oath, of the profession of faith. And we can even think of, of our forms, for that public vow, that public oath and under uh, the heading vows there's four questions there which many of us have answered and the second one, I'll just read the second one as a reminder of the most important oath you have taken in your life. Question two, do you openly accept God's covenant promise which has been signified and sealed to you in your baptism, and do you confess that you despise and humble yourself before God because of your sins, and that you seek your life not in yourself, but only in Christ Jesus, your Savior? I do. I do. And know, brothers and sisters, that just as God preserved his church before Christ came, just as God preserved and built up his church when Christ came, so God continues to build and preserve his church until Christ will come again. And so may we be those who call upon the name of god who trust in jesus christ and would then grow in the sanctified use of the name above all names amen let us pray lord god almighty with our eyes fixed upon our Savior.